So Omar, what, what we were gonna, what we chatted about in prepping for this, and then obviously for a bit of discussion later on, hopefully, is um, yeah, talking about almost the game in silos. Um, I guess was the thing I was thinking about um, in terms of a men's silo and a women's silo, and um, and you wrote a great piece a few months ago um, on LinkedIn on. Um, on sort of breaking silos to a degree that we can talk about in a few minutes, which would be great. Um, but in advance of that, um, you know, one of the reasons in a way why we've had a, a, a couple of weeks of break is because um, the guys at, I'm not sure if it's actually called it 21st Group now, I think that's the, the, the official title now, you guys have been incredibly busy on um, a, a brilliant rebrand um, of the of the wider business. So it'd be great just for a few minutes if you're able to just to to hear about that, and then we can we can dive into um, Super League, uh, Champions League, and, and go from there. Yeah, thanks, thanks, Dan. And um, yeah, it's been a busy few weeks, but we um, we've rebranded. A lot of people will know us or have known us as either Twenty First Club or Fifteenth Club or both. Twenty uh, First Club focusing on football, and Fifteenth Club focusing on golf. Uh, we've brought them under one big brand, um, the 21st Group, uh, as we're now known. Um, and really, it's a, it's a kind of consolidation of the two brands in order to um, bring together a lot of the competencies that we have across both sides of the business, which is, which is really exciting. We've got more golf people working across football projects and vice versa. Uh, but it's also reflected the fact that we're now working across multiple different sports um, and as much as there have been suggestions for, I don't know, 19th County and, I don't know, 7th Nation or, or whatever it would be, um, 21st Group was a much more sustainable approach to the, to the new brand. And so we're really excited. We're, we're focused on four key areas uh, as a business going forward, all underpinned by our analytics and intelligence. So that's the areas of competition optimization, which is going to be a big topic of discussion today for the Women's Champions League. Uh, performance intelligence, so working on the kind of identification and evaluation of, of performance and, uh, and talent. Um, uh, audience engagement, uh, which is using kind of data and analytics to, to better uh, help rights holders around their audiences and help uh, engage their audiences. Uh, and commercial insight, which is linking the, the sporting product to, to commercial value. So, yeah, re- really exciting time. And I think the um, I think women's football is... Um, you know the, the various competition organisers for women's footballs, women's football teams are exactly the types of um, teams and rights holders that we want to be partnering with going forward because there is just so many opportunities here and um, and so many opportunities to to not follow the men's game and do things in a kind of smarter, more creative way, which is which is the types of projects that we that we tend to enjoy. Now it sounds um, yeah, it sounds awesome, and um, I've seen quite a lot of um, yeah content across all of your channels and um, and Blake's channels as well, which looks great. And um, yeah, the rebrand looks super. So congrats on on all of that, which I'm sure has taken up a lot of um, yeah bandwidth over um, the last weeks and months. So yeah, looking forward to reading more, seeing more, hearing more about stuff more generally, um, which looks great. And um, if then we we flip into sort of substantive meat and bones of of tonight, I I, I remember it was probably a few months ago now, or I think it was maybe February or March time. I I sort of um got sent a piece on LinkedIn that that you had written, um, and it was entitled "There's no such thing as the Women's Olympics, so why do we have independent women's sports leagues?" And I, I'm I'm obviously conscious that this is uh, two men talking about um women's sport. 
Um, and, and I see actually that we've got Carol, um, uh, who, um, yeah, I, I've worked with on some um, deals, Carol Joy, who's um, a women's football agent. It would be great maybe to get some insights from um, relatively shortly. But, you know, I was, I was fascinated in that blue sky thinking, um, Omar, that you, you constantly do, which is sort of questioning the status quo, pushing boundaries, looking for um, new ways of doing things, or at least starting a debate about things which aren't necessarily um, in the mainstream. And so it'd be great if you can sort of, um, at least for a little bit, begin to articulate that proposition and, and what it actually could mean for um, the integration of what at the moment are siloed leagues of siloed sexes, really. Yeah, I, I, like you, I'm very conscious as well as being a, a man talking about how to how to fix and improve women's football when it was men, uh, what seventy years ago, fifty years ago, who, who decided to, um, to to ban women's football. So I'm kind of super conscious of that as well, and 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 coming at it from a position of naivety. The, the piece you refer to, I've actually had debates with Carol before. So as, as you say, it'd be great if um, uh, if we have some thoughts from Carol later on. Um, but, the, but the basic premise, you know, there, there's a lot of talk about the potential of, of women's sport, given how many or how quickly the amount of you know attendances and audiences and um, social followings have grown over the last few years. Um, but the fact that obviously it doesn't have the same revenues as, as the men's game, and that's to be expected because the men's games had a 150 year runway to, to get to this point. Um, but I think one of the, the challenges that that women's sport uh, more generally, but but also women's football has had is this idea of not being the default. Um, you know, there'll, there'll always be a group of supporters that will never want to watch um, women's football for for whatever reasons they are. Um, but there's also this kind of framing of of women's football and women's sport that I think doesn't do it any favors. Um, which is the fact that it is called women's football. The, the Champions League final this this weekend. It's called the Women's Champions League Final. Um, and the Champions League Final of the men's is just called the Champions League Final in, in two weeks' time. And no matter how kind of sensitive you are or, or where you are to to it, it will always seem like a secondary competition if it's got some kind of suffix or prefix. So, you know, you know, Man United women will always be a secondary team to Man United. Um, the WNBA will always be secondary to the NBA. Um, and I don't think that, you know, that necessarily has to be the case. And the, and the premise of the piece that I wrote was that, as you said, there's no such thing as the Women's Olympics. The Olympics are the Olympics, um, you know, at the end of at the end of each day on the BBC or NBC or wherever you're watching it on. They don't throw up a women's medal table and then a men's medal table and go, you know, I can't remember the example I used. It was something like, oh, Hungary are above Australia in the men's medal table. Oh, shouldn't they be proud of that? It'd just be a kind of nonsensical uh, nonsensical comment. So um, the fact and the, the result of that, more importantly, is that women's sport is treated in many ways the same as men's sport. So firstly, from a funding point of view, there's um, certainly in the UK, because the prize, the sporting prize is the same in both the men and women's in the Olympics, the funding is the same um, in a lot in a lot of sports, if not all sports. So it was a good quote from Catherine Grange, who's obviously been a real British rowing success, has spoken about the fact that because you know Britain wanted to celebrate Olympic medals, they didn't make a distinguishing, they didn't distinguish between men's and women's. It made sense to invest equally, if not more, into the women's um, 
you know, in order to, to do well. And, and as a result of that, we have, you know, as many women Olympic heroes as we do men. Um, you know, in, uh, you can think of for every kind of Mo Farah you've got, you've got a Jessica Ennis. For every, I don't know, um, Steve Redgrave, you've got a Kelly Holmes. And, and I think um, the Olympics really kind of celebrates men and women competing together. Uh, in a way that a lot of other sports don't do. And I think football um, is particularly guilty of that as well. Again, having panned women's football in this country for so many years, that that's obviously going to be the case. And if I can then ask the, the obviously the logical extension to that question, which is then what, not necessarily what's the solution, but then what's the blue sky thinking for... Um, uh, ensuring because of effectively the women's game being pro- pro- prohibited to its detriment and to the um, massive advancement of the men's game, um, you know, the, the the solution that you give whilst being pretty blue sky thinking is probably so radical as to be pretty, um, at least from in my in my small man's brain, unworkable for the short term because everyone else will probably say, well, you can't bring everything together under one roof. But what's what's the what's the radical idea and what's possibly the pragmatic or practical um consequence or solution yeah so so the radical idea is um you know in the same way the olympics is one unified medal table league table uh to do the same in in men's and women's football league so imagine uh you know the premier league kicks off um you know in august and at 3pm you have Man United men versus Leicester City men and at 5pm you have Man United women versus Leicester City women and they're both worth three points and they both go towards towards the league table um, and at the end of the season the team that finishes or, or rather more specifically it's the club that finishes top of the league um, that wins the title and it could be that the men's team was only the eighth best men's team but the women's team was so far and away the best a women's team that on average between the two teams are the best team and best club in the league um, and it's the, the kind of effect of it is, is that because like the Olympics you're giving an equal sporting prize for, for men and women you end up teams might suddenly see an opportunity to invest within the women's game so you know let's take uh, Liverpool's a really good example at the moment they've not got a very good women's team they were relegated last year uh, from the WSL um, you know, they wouldn't be able to win that type of competition without investing heavily in their women's team. And that, that wouldn't just be buying players, I'd be investing in, in young players as well in order to develop them. Um, so I think there's a lot of benefits to, to doing that. Um, you know, on the flip side, a, a club like, uh, I'm trying to think of a, maybe a Birmingham City would be, uh, would be okay um, because they've got, you know, they've got a good women's team and actually they may, they may end up investing in the men's team. So I think it's it's kind of it is clearly radical. I mean, that's never going to happen in the Premier League anytime soon, if ever. Um, but I, I wonder if it's something that's interesting for a mid-tier European league. Um, I don't know, like a, a Swedish league, or there have been, you know, more recently startup leagues. You know, like um, uh, in India with the ISL, you've got the CPL in Canada. These these are leagues that are kind of starting from fresh. Why not do something like that, um, which will differentiate you massively. You know, you will attract attention just for the fact that you're a bit different. Uh, and the key thing is that your men's and women's games will attract, or should attract close to the same attention because they've got the same sporting prize. 
Um, and I don't think it's it's totally outlandish because there's things like Extreme E, which have um, adopted men's and women's drivers, for example, that, that swap um, during the, the race. So, again, not necessarily competing alongside each other because we know that, um, you know, in, in certain sports, the, the kind of physical differences wouldn't allow for, for men and women to compete alongside each other. But at, at a kind of team level, it is possible. So, yeah, it's it's kind of crazy talk. Um, but but uh, I don't know. I think I think there needs to be some kind of level of radical thinking, some kind of breaking of the status quo. Because the big fear I have with women's football at the moment is that it's just copying the men's game and doing everything that the men's game has done. And we are what three, four weeks on from the Super League falling apart live on the Dan and Omar show, um, and you know. <laughs> we brought to, to the surface all the problems that we have in the men's game and yet we're just kind of you know going on ahead with the women's game in the same direction so that's the thing that really concerns me and if we take that practical example forward don't we where we, we saw that um i'm not sure we we chatted briefly about it beforehand i'm not sure if others saw it where i, I, I can't remember which league was it was it one of the south american leagues if i remember correctly where there was a great um, um, almost campaign that started whereby, um, uh, remind me, Omar, which league it was, was it Brazil or Argentina or Colombia or, I can't remember. I think it was Colombian league, Colum- yeah, yeah. Colombian team, yeah. Where one Colombian team decided to cut their badge in half um, and put that on their kit because actually their men's team was only half of their club um, as an I- and and the, the principle of the idea was is that you support as a fan, you support both the men's and women's teams, and actually you're only half the fan if you only support one, i.e. the men's team. Um, and it garnered such great national international support that I believe the rest of the league then did it. And um, obviously then um, that affinity towards the, the women's team um, uh, more or less then unified the clubs as a result. And it was a very interesting... Um, you know, play on, I guess, another idea, well, another thought we were thinking about generally, which is, you know, almost this separation between the men's and women's game happens from social media accounts. Um, It might well be, um, you know, the novelty of women's teams playing at the men's stadia, as it were, but really that being, again, that siloed approach where it's almost like, well, they're different and um, everyone needs to treat um, the, those teams differently accordingly yeah I think um, and this is a, a firstly thanks to, to Carol who flagged that Colombian um, team example to me in the first place which which I thought was genius one of the genuinely one of the best sports marketing things I think I've ever seen um, so I'd recommend it on my Twitter feed if, if you haven't seen it um, retweeted it a few days ago um, but I think um, a big question comes down to where are where are and who are the, the future fans for women's football and I don't know I mean I, I certainly don't know the answer to it there are people who are smarter than me and, and kind of much more closer to the women's game than me that, that do know the answer to this but it's it's one of two you know to crudely draw the line one of two groups uh, the first group is existing fans of men's football. Um, so it's, you know, people like you and me, Dan, who have followed men's football for a long period of time and actually are interested in the women's game because of, you know, either the connection to the clubs that we have or, you know, we um, you know have a genuine interest in watching elite sport or, or whatever it is. Um, and we are prepared to 
you know, watch the games on Sky Sports, which we can get onto in a sec, um, you know, watch the games at the World Cup, you know, engage with, uh, with the sponsors and whoever else that, um, that the women's games attract. So it's either, either people like us um, moving across um, and or uh, it's new fans who have never really engaged with football before um, but, see, but see an opportunity in, in the women's game or, or, or are kind of engaged <coughs> in football through the women's game. And I know, Carol, you and I have debated this before, so I'm kind of keen to hear about your experiences at, at Lewis in particular and how you thought about new fans. Thank you. Thank you for the invitation. And um, there's a whole cocktail of issues here um, and it's very difficult to find a way in. But I think the um, heading was about the structures that are in place for women's football and how to be radical in maybe releasing the potential of the women's game um, uh, structurally. So I'm not sure I've got the answer to that. Uh, but I can say, and with respect to our two organisers, that women like to organise themselves. Um, and it is very common for men to tell women what to do. And uh, thank you for saying you're conscious of that fact. But um, in order for women to organise themselves, somehow um, they need money and we need money. And it is uh, historically the case that the... Um, that men control the money more than women do. And if you look at the sort of money coming into English football from the States, it's from um, a lot of men who control sports investment companies who see not only um, uh, an investment opportunity in England, but also the potential of the women's game. But that's, that's because uh, they have the money. So um, how about some structural change following from um, a tax on, um, let's say, the uh, successful part of the men's game, uh, the Premier League and those um, at the elite level. How about a levy, a tax on transfer monies being um, agreed by, well, I don't know, the Premier League itself and it would have to agree that that was a valuable thing to do to allow women to go and organise themselves the way, the way they do. Because like you, I also fear that the, um, the FA is very keen to see uh, the women's game being a, um, a, a, I would say, mirror image, but being very similar to the men's game. I have a feeling that they would like all the top Premier League men's clubs um, having a similar parallel um, women's club at the very top level, funded however they may be funded. But nonetheless, as you've pointed out, um, it's always an also-ran perception that way. But it may be possible with funding that women would come up with a different solution that captures on what's different about the women's game. And there are many different things um, about how the game grew up and, you know, the loyalty of fans and the perception of fans of the value of the, of, of the women's game, which is different from, from um, fans of the men's game. But anyway, that was only really a starting point. point. <laughs> My point was the money talks and that by and large men control the money and if there were a mechanism to um, make a break, then maybe a different structure would emerge. Yeah, I mean, 
would agree with all of that. I think, um, and again, you're in a much better position than than us two um, to to have a view on it. I'm, the, the 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 idea of, of raising money and I think taking from the men's game is such a is such a key one. I think the you know there is so much money to go around in the game, um, and all you know a huge chunk of it in the men's game goes on player salaries at the moment. Yeah, um, and I think being able, I think there is a, an argument, or, or it is possible to kind of have that argument with owners um, within the men's game and with, and with the leagues and men's games to go, look, it doesn't have to go on the men's players. And actually, I think probably a lot of the men's players would go, you know what, I think uh, I think it's okay if, if you know a chunk of the money that's in the game that's coming towards us is actually redistributed um, elsewhere to support the women's game. Um, similarly, you know, the, the, um, you know, the amount of money that's, as you say, spent on transfer fees. So, I think there are there's clear there's clearly options there. The the other options are obviously through new money, which is the new sponsors and sponsors who want to be attached to, you know, essentially attached to the women's game rather than the men's game. Because as, as I said, we've seen so many issues with the men's game, um, and you know, it, sponsors of Man United reportedly kind of losing interest in the past week because of the protests and so on. Do do you think there's a big potential there in terms of the types of sponsors that will come in, or does it? Does it really still need the, the the money from the men's game as the key driver? Well, I think, as you know, the, the sponsorship monies are absolutely fantastic, but the real um, uh, the real money power is from um, broadcasting rights, and for that to happen, I think there's there's there would be a need for for a ready, very radical change. As you know, I think. Um, BBC and is it Sky are going to start broadcasting um, the Women's Super League games as from next season. But um, as far as I can see, that's where the real, I don't have the figures, but um, money coming into the game is through broadcast, right? So uh, sponsorship, very important. But if you look, you've got these figures, I'm sure the balance of power is with the um, uh, broadcast rights revenues. Yeah, I'm, I'm interested, on, well, I think Omar and I are interested on that point because when we saw, you know, the announcement of Sky and uh, BBC uh, getting involved, um, you know, for the for the 21-22 season reported it's around 8 to 10 million, worth around 8 to 10 million pounds a year, yeah. um, 75% going to the WSL clubs and 25% share going to... The, the 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 championship, championship yeah. yeah and then you know the possibility of um you know over 50 60 70 oh, i think over almost 50 games being shown on sky on a mix of their channels and again um, i think at least one um per week on game week on the bbc um that type of exposure um will hopefully then sort of lift things in in lots of different directions in terms of appeal profile storylines um you know rivalries and all of those things that the, the men's game has had but you know so the point that i think about is, is is that is that the point is it is it to get the women's game to the point what of where the men currently are or is it actually to take it down a slightly different path um because it's pretty difficult to emulate however many uh, decades of um, men's ev- men's game evolution when women's game has had a pretty hampered start in truth yeah, I think it's um, it's a really good point. I think the 
that emulation point is the bit I'm wary of, and I and I wonder the degree to which um, you can reverse the car. Like, you know, one of my another crazy big idea that I have that, that's probably totally non-feasible is that you could really accelerate the women's game by taking you know the world's best 200 players 500 players whatever it is and, and putting them in a literal super league um because the the, the issue that that the, the men's super league have is that obviously people have kind of deep emotional connections to these clubs that has lasted a very long time fans don't have that same emotional connection with with the women's teams yes some do and and we shouldn't we shouldn't kind of ignore that but the vast majority of kind of my guess would be the vast majority of current women's fans, women's football fans and, and potential women's football fans don't have a, a kind of deep connection to their teams. So, you know, is there the chance to do something really radical there and build a kind of global pyramid of, of football there? Um, so I think that's, you know, that's if you had like a massive investor coming into into women's football, that would be almost the thing that I'd be pitching is that let me let me take control of it. Um, let me you know, try and get access to all the best players in the world um, and try and create a product that is, you know, the elite end of, of women's football. Sorry, I think that's a very valid point. I think the, the one of the big drivers in um, fan support is uh, for, for, for the men's game, um, I would think, is a tribal uh, driver <clears throat> that people identify the purpose of, you know, supporting a club is because it's a place you belong, you identify with a club because you live there and you, um, or you, you admire it. And um, there's something there which is not so um, fundamental in the women's support <clears throat> world. I think there's something much more personalised there. I think their fans are very much keener to identify with players. So I think to set aside the... Um, affiliation of you know the, the sort of support um, criterion that um, affects or is part of the men's game. Set that aside and say, well, it's not about you know supporting a particular um, town's club, but but um, something which which brings the players and the fans even closer together. I think that is one very different thing about the. Um, the women's game, the players and the fans are still very much, <laughs> um, they belong to each other very much more in the um, in the women's game. So, yeah, something that would capitalise on that would be very good. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. It's something I've noticed a lot in women's cricket as well, that, you know, there's, you've got women's cricketers who run podcasts as an example, and, and there's like a really strong connection that people have. And actually, you know, the route that they've gone down in cricket with 100 is far less jarring with the with the women's game than it is with the men's game and actually I think um, listening to an interview with Tom Harrison the ECB uh, chief exec um, today you know he's talking about the 100 being that kind of potential launch pad for, for the women's game with with these new brands and so on so yeah I'd, I'd completely completely agree with that um, the, other, the other point I just wanted to make and I appreciate we're we're running close to the half hour um, but the the size of the the WSL deal, the eight million a season deal, um, is not to be sniffed at uh, at all. Um, you know, it, it can seem quite small in the context of the of the men's deal, but that the eight million a season is more than any British broadcaster pays for yeah. leagues like the Bundesliga or La Liga or Liga or Serie A in England. So 
it shows that the interest in women's football, uh, English women's football, is bigger than, you know, clubs that would have been in the European Super League, at least in their domestic league. So it's a, it's a massive, it is a massive deal in the context. And I think it's, um, it's really encouraging for, for the future going forward. No, I think it, I think that's a really good point, Omar and <clears throat> Carol. Really, really appreciate um, you um, you coming up and giving your wise um, counsel as usual. So hopefully, we can make this a bit more of a regular uh, occurrence, if that's okay with you. And um, yeah, we try and do this every week on a Tuesday. So hopefully, we can uh, we can get you up again and um, yeah, listen to some more interesting um, views. Thanks very much for inviting me. I've got to go now. I'm not quite sure how long this is going on for, but um, thanks for the invitation. We're all off, Carol. It's all it's dinner time. <laughs> You're dead right. <laughs> thanks, Omar, as always. Cheers, Dan. We'll catch you next week. Definitely. Take care, everyone, and thanks for thanks for listening in. Thanks, guys. Bye. Thanks for listening. You can follow me on Twitter, TikTok, and Instagram at Football Law read my blogs and listen to my previous podcasts via my website danielg.com forward slash blogs please do subscribe to the Dundee football podcast like share and tag me if you like the content if not my voice you'll probably also like my book Dundee an insider's guide to football contracts multi-million pound transfers and premier league big business a bit of a mouthful it's available to buy in hard copy digitally via Audible. All links are in the podcast show notes. Lastly, the podcast is powered by 13, which is a fashion brand I've started. All proceeds go towards cancer charity research, and particularly the stellar work done by John Krell, who has helped my mum through some difficult times over the last few years. You can take a look at the merch and hopefully buy a t-shirt, hoodie, cap, or all three. Please do spread the word go to 13shop.co.uk that's 13shop.co.uk thanks for listening